Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who set us apart in order to sanctify us with his commandments and instructed us to occupy ourselves with the words of the Torah. Adonai, our God, please make the words of your Torah pleasant in our mouths and in the mouths of your people, the family of Israel, so that we, our offspring and the descendants of your people, the family of Israel, all of us may be knowers of your name and learners of your Torah, Lishma. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the nations of the world to give us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Lishma. Lishma. It's for your own sake. For its own sake, yeah. Okay. Oh, you didn't know that? Sorry about that. Well, it, it actually puts that word in there in the Hebrew for some reason, so I threw it in there and figured, yeah. Well, that's uh, Sitter HD, uh, available in the App Store. Uh, okay. Um, I would like to... Uh, dedicate tonight's class to my father-in-law, Henry. Um, I think most of you have met my father-in-law. If you haven't, he is, uh, he's a class act. Um, I, I just couldn't be more, more proud of the guy. Gentleman is the best word for him. He is indeed. He is a classy gentleman. Um, he, uh, he has been an extraordinary example to me for many, many, many years. Um, and actually um, gave me permission to marry his daughter. And for that I am most grateful. But there's something that's been bothering me. And that is that he disagrees with the way that I practice my faith. So I am actually going to be sending him the audio for tonight's class so that he can hear you explain why I'm not a schmo. <laughs> So what I'd like to do, since Henry is such a classy guy, is to approach our question of why we keep the Torah from more of a rabbinic perspective. So what I'd like to do in the first hour is pretty much give you my idea of how we should respond. So that in the second hour, you can respond in like kind. Will that work? All right. So, it has occurred to me that uh, we have a couple of uh, sound bites from the believing community, uh, some of which I've heard from Henry. One of them is we're not under law, we're led by the Spirit. Under grace. Okay. The second, Christ is the end of the law. He's fulfilled it. These are two pretty clear sound bites that we not only hear from friends and family, but from others in the believing community. And uh, I think that we should have a, a good response. Because there are many who believe that we're trampling on the blood of Messiah by actually keeping the Torah. So what I'm looking for tonight is not just an answer, should we keep the Torah. Not just a flippant response, 
but one, as the sages would provide, that asks a question and demands that the, the hearer would then go back to the scriptures to look for the answer, and in finding the answer to that would see the answer to his, to his own question. So if you would take out your, your Bibles, I'd like us to look at uh, some of these references. Let's start in Galatians 5.18, please. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 18. I think you're, uh, you're familiar with this. Now, I don't think that the folks that we, uh, we address in the believing community of Christendom would actually take things out of context deliberately. So we're going to try and not do that. Yes, sir? Yes, please. Oh, is Yeshua one two three with a capital Y? <laughs> That's right. Now everyone on the planet knows. All of these young Torah keepers will be all in the front of the house and behind, actually stealing the Wi-Fi. No pressure. It, uh, Galatians chapter five and verse eighteen, I believe, says something like, "If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under." The law. This is. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Okay. So, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That's a true statement, is it not? That's a direct quote from the Scriptures. Can I give you Stern's rendition? Sure. What does Stern say? If you are led by the Spirit, then you are not in subjection to the system that results from perverting the Torah into legalism. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot of added words. Wow. So, so that's not a word-for-word translation, eh? Well, yeah. what he does is every time you talk about that end of the law or under the law or, or things like that, he, he has his own way of doing that. See, I actually and, don't, and he, agree. I don't agree with his. Well, he puts it everywhere that occurs and it's not correct every time. Could so that could be the message Bible. <laughs> yes. The, 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 the reason why I don't agree with <laughs> take on that taking it as a perversion as being legalism or whatever else is, it's 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 succumbing to the same trap of a redefinition of what the law is. Yes. First personally, I think legalism is good. And I hope that I am a legalist. In certain ways. That's exactly right. And he, he's, he's, trying to redef- he's trying to show that the law is just a misuse of it, and, and unfortunately it, it misses the point because actually this says something different than that. Yes, indeed it does. Yes, sir? This, this is actually uh, apropos that you bring this up because I, more and more I've become so aware that you cannot understand the book of Galatians without good grasp of the context and the discussion at the time and the verbiage of the time. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think this is so easy to um, sincerely try to take it, uh, the text here and, and, and really want to know what it means but just get something that's uh, that's got, got the opposite effect if you just don't know the context. But I would challenge anyone with that belief or the opposite by saying, how do you know when you've got the truth? 
How do you know when you have the intent of the author? How do you know that that's what he meant? Unless you have some foundation on which to build. Right? Otherwise, you come at it in a vacuum. And you can't get it. So whether you have the good intention of trying to understand the, the time frame and so forth, there still needs to be some type of foundational bedrock on which you will build that interpretation. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. All right, so my goal now to, in the beginning here is not to have us argue about what this particular scripture means or the second one in Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, another famous soundbite in Christendom today, you are not under law, but under grace. And thus forever, law and grace will be juxtaposed. Well, he used apropos. I figured I could use juxtaposed, you know. All right. So, what is the Greek word for law? It is namas. How many different words are there for law in Greek? There is only one, and it's namas. That's exactly right. Now, if I move to Hebrew, how many different words do I have for law or law-like things? Four or five. Four, five, six, seven, right? Actually, Greek, you need to probably include a couple more. Dogma. Dogma, right. And... Krinos, right? Um, Krinos is is a judge, and many times it's translated as law in your uh, New American Standard Bible, English Standard. Uh, it is, yeah. Actually, but no, that's actually that's a misapplication of that word. The Greek word doesn't mean doctrine. The Greek word means custom. Yes, it, it is it, it, function of the ethos, the people. It's a tradition. The word dogma in Greek means tradition. Not even minha. It's even less. It's basically a tradition set by the culture. Either way, it still doesn't match up with the Hebrew. And especially when we're looking at namas. So so our our, our first soundbite, we're not under the law. We're led by the Spirit. Under grace, and I've given you two references that are used: Galatians five eighteen and Romans six fourteen. The second one, Christ is the end of the law; He fulfilled it. Really comes from Romans chapter ten and verse four. So, if you look at that, you'll see there: for Christ is the end or telos of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Is that end? What's that mean in in Romans ten four? He's the end of the law. He's the goal. He's the goal of the law. He's the focus. Yes. Yes, telephone, telescope, that kind of thing. Um, the end of the law in that he presumably abolished it. And oftentimes, Romans chap- uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5 is actually quoted, which is almost humorous, because what does Matthew chapter 5, what is it, 12 and 13? 17? 17, what does that say? Don't, no, don't even think, right? Don't even think that I came to abolish the law. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? And others, right? And then we, we get another soundbite that fulfilling it means it's filled up and it's no longer used or necessary. In the 
ISO classes when they're, when they're when they're addressing this on from Rupert to Zion. There's a it's a multiple choice section in the student workbook where it says, okay, don't think I came to abolish the law, but to abolish it. That's one of the <laughs> that's one of the choices. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> it's like, uh, der, I really, it, you, you'd be surprised at how many people want to. That's right. Of course they do. What are you gonna say? I just was saying. It's not that they say that he fulfilled the law. He only fulfilled the ceremonial and the uh, the other one. The moral one is still there. Right. Yeah, that that is uh, a sad point as well. That there are these right. divisions and stratifications of the of the law that don't exist anywhere in the law. And I I. My practice is to look at Leviticus 19, print it out on a piece of paper, and hand it to someone and say, here's three highlighters. Highlight in three different colors, the moral, the civil, and the ceremonial. And, you know, how do you, once, once they hand it back to you and you see that specific sentences are actually split into two or three different colors, and you're like, well, how do you know where to put each color? That always quiets them. The, the thing that, that always tickles me about that, trying to divide it, other than the fact that the scripture doesn't do that, is to try to argue that a law, that this law is moral and this law isn't. Because by definition, a law is somebody's morality legislated. And even when we see, quote unquote, the ceremonial laws, right? Yom Kippur is the classic example. Yeah. We just read that. That's right. This past portion. doesn't do this, we'll be cut off. Oh, so there's a moral consequence for, to a, for to a civil law a or a ceremonial law. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> even though he's civilly taking care of the. Okay. Yeah. Right, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. So uh, I'm I'm trying to build here um, to the rabbinic question with regard to keeping the law, and I'm wondering if you can, from the two sound bites, can you uh, can you give me a couple of soundbite responses. I, I have two soundbite responses. What, what give me a soundbite response to, to one of these two? What would you say? With respect to Galatians, my question would be, what is the context of, of verse 18? Okay. Okay, so, you're, so you want to dive into the text. Scripture off the page, right. of its context, yeah. right, which we're all guilty of doing. So you bet. Let's put it, let's leave it on the page and let's look at it in its context. Good. And in the context, you go back to the beginning of the chapter and he's talking about verse 2, Behold, I call say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Right? So the whole context here goes back to the, the, the opening issue that Paul was battling in his day, which was this teaching that only way to have a place in the world to come was to be legally Jewish. Exactly. And circumcision was the term, the shorthand term, sure. to describe that. So what and we see the same thing in Acts chapter 15. And, and, and there were believers that were saying, yes, believe in Messiah Yeshua, but also you've got to be Jewish. Right. right. And so what he's saying here is, no, no, no. If you are looking to a legal status as a, a legal Jewish status for your place in the world to come, then your faith is in that, not in Messiah. Right. And therefore, you are, in essence, removing yourself 
from. Well, he doesn't say in essence. He says you are. You're, 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 you can't be saved that way. Right. He says you're worse off than before you even knew about Messiah. But that but has nothing to do with... Whether or not we keep the Torah. Exactly. All right. So uh, to keep us at a high level, yeah. your, your, your soundbite response would be, let's look at the context. Let's jump into the text and see really what it says. Um, I've had some poor response to that response in that I found, unfortunately, um, sat down with a believer. We specifically said two weeks in advance that we were going to be sitting down and talking about the food laws and specifically his soundbite from Acts chapter 10, which is the um, sheet with coming down, the unclean animals and so forth. Um, so I came prepared to as you, as you say, to jump into the text, let's look at this in context, and can we not see perhaps some, some truths here? For example, Peter never does eat that stuff, right? Big, big, big thing there. Um, second, he makes it clear he has no idea what this vision's all about until later. And then he tells two different groups that he does know now what it's about, and he never says it has anything whatsoever to do with food. And the sheet also contains clean animals, indicating that there's some distinction that's necessary for him to make. Good. So the problem I had at that particular lunch meeting was I was having a discussion with an unarmed man. He had no ability to look at the context because he hadn't read it recently, didn't bring the word with him, did not understand or look normally at Greek words or context. It was just, I'll read it like the newspaper. And in addition to all of those very valid points, it's also generally a bad idea to develop doctrine or halakha from a vision. Oh, that's a good point too. <laughs> but don't, yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. All right. Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. <laughs> My plates are better than your plates. Yeah. Two sound bites. One is right. The verse right after Romans six fourteen, which is, "What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not." Okay. So my point would be, what is 14? It's not an action statement. It's more of a theological kind of statement that has no bearing on, on your actions. But the second one is an action-based statement, which is saying, do not sin, which means you would be keeping the door. Yeah. Okay. So do... And that was what I was going to say is the definitions. That's what you're going to It's really talking about what the definition is. Yeah. It's talking about what's sin. Precisely. So you're going you're gonna to continue on, as Greg did, in the text and say, well, wait a minute, it says don't sin. That's the whole idea. That's the culmination of his statement. I and mean, that just begs the question, well, who's defining sin? What's sin? Well, you need to actually define what it means to be, the, what the law is, what led by the Spirit means. Sure. Before we can discuss, we have to be on the same page with the language so I'm, I'm hearing you say that we need to define our terms. Allow the other person to define it. Okay. Permit them, the, 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 really the, the, the 
honorable. The privilege. Well, you know, it's 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 our responsibility to let them speak, and to, and for us to understand what they intend, what they really mean. That's exactly right. And and when they when they use terms like under the law, when they use terms like sin, or when they use terms like uh, led by the Spirit, what do they think that means? Exactly. Exactly, because those words are loaded. That's right. And if you listen to uh, Tim Hegg's, uh, I don't know if it's 10 Persistent Questions or What's So New About the New Covenant, that's his first chapter, is all about words have meaning. That's, uh, what's so new? What's so new about the New Covenant? What, you know, right. So he's like, we got we to gotta unpack this stuff to figure out, because when I say this, you may be thinking this because of your Baptist background, but you're thinking of this because of your Presbyterian background, and you're thinking of this because you've got no background. You know, whatever. Well, Tim takes the stance that it's not that words have meaning, it's that meaning has words. Same deal. We have to define. All right. Any? Yes, sir. Well, I was just going to say, the question that I like to ask as well is, is it possible that, since, since God can't, we, we would agree that God can't con- contradict himself. He doesn't. So... That's an important distinction. We need to find that out in the discussion. Yeah. So, because I, I think you'll find that many believe that this was the God of the Old Testament. This is the God of the New Testament. This was the angry God. This is the God of grace and love. And it's the same one, but it's two sides. It's yin and yang. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say I don't think anyone would agree that God contradicts himself. So I think we're we're good there, right? No. I I think they may not come out and say it. That God but, repented of his actions. They bring up Moses. Yeah. They bring up Noah. Yeah. Example. God changed his mind there. Right. Well, we really didn't change because it was his intention. All right. The intentional one is not really changing your mind. All right. So let's go. Let's 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 continue. Um, do you have another soundbite that you would respond with? I see that you've got some means of responding, but it sounds like a good response so far. A soundbite is, well, we're not supposed to sin, are we? And then launch into that. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Okay. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's a good one. So it wasn't that... Um, Those are the new commandments. Yeah, yeah it was the new commandments, which is love, he, he the Bible, the Bible, I the word. Okay. Uh, let's not argue it. Let's just come back with a response. So... I think your soundbite, if you love me, keep my commandments, is a great response. It's a good soundbite to come back with. It may not be the best, but it's a good soundbite. And that's what we're looking for. If we're given a soundbite, can we come back with a soundbite so that we can finally go to the text? Right? I mean, we, we want to engage these fellows. If they're fellow brothers and sisters in Messiah, we don't want to shun them. We certainly don't want to make them feel bad. We certainly don't want to make ourselves or them feel like pariahs. We want to actually engage in a study of the Word of God. Can that be a bad thing? I mean, really. Yes? Be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. Another good one. Does everybody know where that is? It would be the last verse in chapter 5. If you're already there looking at the Sermon on the Mount and verses 17 through 19, and I didn't come to abolish the law, it ends with be holy as I am holy, or be perfect if you're in the New American Standard. Not one jot or two 
Okay. Not one jot or tittle. Good. I like it. Here's a guy who just milked a cow for the first time in his life. Oh, oh that's, wait, that's not a tittle, that's a teat. I got it, all right. I, uh, yes, sir? Is this the place to, to, to draw the uh, loss and death card? You know, I like that law, law of, and I'm going to ask you to hold that because we're going we're gonna to culminate on that high point. Jonathan, thinking right along with me. Outstanding. Um, my sound bite for uh, one of these responses, uh, since in both cases, if you'll notice, Galatians chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, who, who's, who's doing the writing here? Paul, right? So Paul's doing the writing. So I thought most apropos, even fitting, to, uh, to continue on with Paul, Romans... T- yeah, Romans chapter 7 and verse 12. Take a look at that with me. Romans chapter 7 and verse 12. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So, right, 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 right. I realize there's going to be response, but again, if I'm looking at the soundbite of we're not under the law, can't keep the law, I would want to come back with some good stuff about the law. In that same letter, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. But it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. There it is. That's chapter 2, verse 13, and that first one was... Paul is the very last verse of 36 and 7, man. He's going back and forth. He's using the term law... Well, he was all things to all men. He was three different and opposing. All right, so let you bring up. You bring up a good. You bring up a good. You up a good point, and I don't. Uh, I don't think. Exactly. Yeah. And he's hoping that the, he's hoping that the Romans will have some Jews nearby <laughs> to help him out. Yeah. All right. So, so I want to. Uh, w- w- I mean, it's it's, it's the uh, the elephant in the room, as we've said before, um, that there's so many types of law here that we're talking about that things can be confusing. So I'm wondering if you can tell me. How many of you think there's more than one law described in the apostolic scriptures? Well, before we get to the Torah, everybody agree there's more than one law described? Okay. How many think there's, there's three different laws? Okay. How about four? Four? How many, how many think more than four? Five. Five different laws. Down to three guys? Five. Six? Six different laws? I'm, I'm pushing it now, right? Six. Seven? Gentlemen, tonight I will give you 13 different laws out of the apostolic scriptures. 13 different laws, and we're going to look at every single one of them. Are you ready? The very first one. Are you going to write these down? Peter, would you write down these 13 for me on the left-hand side of the board? Do you have good penmanship on the pen? Who has good penmanship on the, on the whiteboard? All right, just down the left-hand. Give me 1 through 13. Write small. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, no smell check, right. All right, the first one is just generically, it says the law. The law, right? And I think a good example of that, if we turn to Acts chapter 7 and verse 53. So number one is just law, right? You who received the law as ordained by angels, Acts 7.53, and yet you didn't keep it. Now here, Luke is chastising men for not keeping the law. Hmm. Our second, do you have that? Well, Acts chapter 7, verse 53. Yeah, but the verse, like two before it, yeah. how they, they resisted the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but we're not talking about that one tonight, son. But it is, it is so worth it. was the law delivered by angels? Let's not get over the top now. <laughs> Our second law... That's right, yeah. Our second law is the law of Moses. Now, this one's used most commonly, the law of Moses. The one I chose was Acts chapter 13 and verse 39. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. That was Acts 13 and verse 39. All right, that's the law of Moses. Not the law, but the law of Moses. Our next one, Acts 22 and verse 3. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers. The law of our fathers. Being zealous for God, just as you all are today. The law of our fathers. Acts 22 and verse 3. So, is the, is the law of our fathers the law of Moses? I wonder why he didn't call it the law of Moses. He uses the law of Moses an awful lot. The next one I found was in Acts chapter 25 and verse 8, when Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. The law of the Jews. Acts twenty. Five verse eight. Now Paul, the law. Paul was, Paul was Jewish, so I think he's he's differentiating right between the law of the Jews versus the laws of of Rome. Well, now that he's saved. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's their laws. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Yes, Scythian, slave or free. So, so he's. Well, you must be talking about the law of Christ, but I don't know that we're up to that. All right. In Romans 3, verse 27, we actually have two different laws. When then is boasting, it is excluded. By what kind of law? A law of works. Ah. No, but by a law of faith. There can't be a law. <laughs> faith and the law are they're opposites, right? They're juxtaposed. And yet, here we have law of works, no, but by a law of faith. Romans 3.27. My favorite one, though, is Romans 7, verses 22 and 23. We actually have three different laws mentioned in these two verses. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against, yes, the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, 
which is in my members. Man, Romans 7, 22 to 23, you get three in one verse. Well, maybe four. Awesome. Yeah, the law of my members, I was thinking. <laughs> uh, the law of sin is in his members, yes. All right, our next, that's, that brings us up to nine right there. Seven, 22, and 23. Yep, we got that. All right, so number 10, Romans 8, 2. Romans 8, 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin, which we already have, and of death. No, I can't be, I can't say that. The law and spirit are contrary to one another. So the spirit has a law. So the law of the spirit in Romans 8, 2. And then finally, Galatians 6, 2, we have bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ. That's Galatians 6 2. Oh, did I miscount? I hope I didn't. Uh, hmm. There's 15. Oh, we're down. <laughs> well, there's one for each of the 12. I actually have two more, yeah. So I must have missed one somewhere in my count, so. Um, our next one is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. I think this is a great passage. Great passage. He himself is our peace, speaking of Yeshua, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. The law of commandments, Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. And believe it or not, I do have one more, and I apologize. So that's actually 14, and I wonder which one I left out of my list of works. Or faith, or God, my mind, or sin, spirit. Ah, law of death, that's what it was. I took out law of death. Okay, so 14, number 14, and you'll want to change my 13 to 14 there. Number 14, James, love the guy, chapter 1 and verse 25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. And abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what sure he does. Of law. <laughs> law of liberty. Yeah, did you guys see that YouTube thing where he, you know, the guy stands up and just starts singing it? Is that what it was? That one's also good too. A marine just stood up and oh, is the Battle Hymn of the Republic? Star Spangled Banner. Yeah, maybe it was an old marine. No, it's it's the Star Spangled Banner. This marine just stands up and starts singing it at one of these town meetings and. You know, wow, it's unbelievable. All right, thank you, sir. Well done, well done. Great penmanship. So, based 
based on this unbelievable list, if someone says to me in a soundbite, we're not under law, we're under grace, or any other soundbite that gets, that has the word law in it, I would come back with a rabbinic question. How many laws are there? That's big. I think knowing how to respond in a rabbinic method demands that the other person give you an answer. And if they give you an answer and it doesn't fall anywhere near the number 14 or the idea that you can't possibly generically use a soundbite about the word law without recognizing that the context has to be looked at. I do think that there's, um, with, with the soundbite I gave you about the law being holy, the commandment holy, righteous, and good, it, it makes you realize that some of these, since Paul is arguing for one and against another, they all can't be the Torah. They all can't be God's commandments. The one that oftentimes gets thrown back at us from this list yes. is the law of sin and death. That's what he was bringing up. The Torah is a law of sin and death because you'll, if you don't keep it all, it's going to condemn you. And, and that is actually answered in that same passage in Romans 7 because it says, it, doesn't, it says the commandment does not bring death, it brings life. And we can then go back into the Tanakh and we can look at Moshe. Moses saying, guys, choose today. Choose life. Follow these commandments. This is how I want you to live. Well, I think there was one other um, soundbite that you might want to make a note of. And I think, besides how many laws are there, being a good rabbinic question to ask, I think another rabbinic question to respond with is Can a non-believer even keep the law? I would want my question in this regard to start to get the believer thinking. As I'm quoting from Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to, to do so. Now I think this is a great way to get folks to recognize guys, keeping the commandments was never intended for non-believers. It was only intended from the beginning for believers. That's why Jews keep it. 
They grow up in the faith. They grow up believing that they need to keep these commandments. Why? Because they've been taught from the beginning, this is how God would have his people to live. We as Gentiles grow up in pagan land, come in, and are introduced to the one true God, the God of the universe, and we're quickened by his magnificent spirit. And we're drawn to his people, we're drawn to his Messiah, and we're drawn to his word. And it's then that we realize that these very commandments were intended only for us, not for non-believers. Because if you can get your believing friend to listen to this question and think about it, he'll realize that he just put himself in a pretty big, bad way. Because if he's saying that the commandments are not applicable to believers, then by definition they must be to non-believers. But the scripture says the non-believer can't even keep it. So now you have to question, well, why do we have commandments in the first place? And you ought to be able to deftly handle the normal soundbite response to show them that they needed a Savior. Okay, I don't think we needed to go quite as far as God went just to show them they needed a Savior. Ten would have done. 613 is a little over the top. And not only that, it makes them to be a charlatan and a deceiver. Well, then you can start to get into other words like forever, eternally, throughout your generations, and so forth. Okay. Does that make sense? Do you, do you think these are two good questions to ask in order to get people to think? I, I think they're non-confrontational. And I think that it starts to, if they're interested, get them talking about the commandments. Before we go further, let me just uh, say that um, different types of law in the Tanakh. Two, three, five, seven. I can think of five. Can think of five? Thirteen. Thirteen. The law of Mincha, the law of Kata'at, sin, the law of Asham, Zevak Shalem, Olav, the burnt offering, Tzarah, the leper, Kina, that's the one for jealousy, Natsir, for the uh, Nazarite vow, the law of the Lord, the law of the king, not the eternal king, but the king of the uh, earth, the law of your mouth, the law of the house, that would be his house, the law of the temple, and the law of the Medes and the Persians. Bam! There it is. It is 13. I actually thought that 13 in the Apostolic and 13 in the Tanakh, that's 26. That works really well. But it's 13 and 14, which is 27. You know. But the law of sin and death, I would group together. We didn't put the law of death because it's not addressed that way. Oh, there you go. Oh, that is a different verse. Yeah, you need to check 8.2. Because the law of sin... Law of sin Okay, so... Oh, that's why I pulled out and made it 13. Because I pulled out law of death from 8.2 because it's the law of sin and death. All right, so we are down to 13. Oh, man, that's great. That's indeed... 
13, law of death goes out. Thank you very much. All right. Yeah, in, in the Tanakh, is that the word Torah? It is. Because if you're going to talk about commandments, there's lots. Right. Yeah, because we've got the different words. Um, Kuchot. Yeah, 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 you can go. Pekude. I was going to say, it's sort of on the line with the second question. Really, the, the meat of what I was trying to get at is asking them... Um, what is the purpose of, of the law? And, uh, and it'll, it's, it's amazing to see someone try to blunder through an answer of, of what they think God's intention of the first five books of the Bible were. Yeah. That's, that's well, it, 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 that, may be, that may be a little tough uh, because I, I think then we get down to that whole foundation or, or bedrock that I was talking about. Um, we, we need to recognize that most of, of the believers that we know in Christendom today are not coming from the concept that the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, are the foundation on which God based everything else so that his people would be able to recognize a true prophet, so that his people would be able to recognize the Messiah when he came. If you don't have that foundation from Deuteronomy 12 and, and 13, then you can be mis. Uh, led. You can be deceived by false prophets. But the Master was very clear, especially in uh, Matthew 24 and 25, that you should know the right guy from the wrong guy. You should know when this man of perdition shows up because of his reaction to the Word of God and his description. I like the idea of questioning because most of the people that are interested enough to question us are are righteous people. Absolutely. They're, they're pious. They want to obey God. In fact, they do believe God, and in practice do believe God. They would never live like they teach. I think you're right, Rick. And because I... they teach that it doesn't matter. Well, it kind of does, but it doesn't really matter. I'll, I'll give you an example. There's a, there's a well-known Messianic leader in this town. He's a righteous man. He, he, he works overtime to make sure that everything he does not only is right in his heart, but is right to those who see on the outside by yeah. any standard. Yeah. And so when when presented with the question, he usually defaults to, well, God forgives us for everything, and you know, you don't have to do this. But that's not the way that he lives. That's right. And and quite frankly, you know, you you nailed it. Most of the believers we're talking about are living righteous lives. The ones that are going to church you know, out of out of some type of weird obligation, and their Christianity ends when they leave the building. Those are not the kind of people that are questioning us to begin with. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about those who have a deep and abiding faith in Messiah. Those that are living righteous lives. And quite frankly, if you paired their deeds against the 613 commandments, you'd find, aside from the food laws, they're probably keeping most all of it anyway. They just absolutely, and that's that was what I'm going to say. It's not that it's not that they're being as fastidious to the Torah as we or others might think is is necessary uh, to be righteous, but we certainly are see that they are obeying the weightier matter, matters of love and mercy and a love for God. There's no question that they have that they have a love for God. That's exactly right. Pious in that regard. Yeah, which is why they're concerned about us. That's right. Because they've, they've counted us in that same camp with them, 
And now we're choosing to do works that appear to be either A, working for your salvation, or B, trampling on the blood of Christ. I got you both. So we need to be careful that we help them to understand. The only reason we're doing this is because we're saved, not in order to be saved. It's not to get brownie points. It's strictly to be obedient. And if we can communicate that, I think we do better. Ryan. I just wanted to, for a second, return to the man of perdition in that he's also called the man of lawlessness. Yes, anti-Torah. Torahlessness. That's exactly right. That would be in Second uh, Thessalonians chapters 1 and 2. I was going to say that some of these same people, when it, when it comes to dietary, and just look them looking at our walk of faith, these are the same people who are, are, you know, they're going to the Sunday afternoon barbecue, but they're the same ones who are also telling you you won't, you don't eat horse. You know, so where, where's the blind drawn? Okay, it's okay to eat a pig, but it's not, but it's not okay to eat horse. Uh, by that same token, it's okay to celebrate Halloween, but what's wrong with Passover? You know, that Halloween's not in the Bible. It's okay to celebrate. You know. Yeah, I, I think I think we can. Uh, we can all point to inconsistencies in another's walk, but I just don't know that it it's going to gain us any ground. You know the the old uh, phrase: if you if you if you sling well, I was going to say if you sling dirt, you end up losing a lot of ground and getting dirty. Um, that one, yeah, that's pretty good. That works too. You know. All right. Um, can you think of a third rabbinic question that we can close with? That might be also, I'm, I'm just looking for, um, do, do you remember that story about the, the, uh, the Jewish man who was uh, running the uh, art store and the, and the woman comes in, remember? Who was it telling us about that? It was on one of those tapes uh, that the world may know. Um, uh, Ray Vanderland. Right, Vanderlaan, Ray Vanderlaan. He said, you know, this Jewish man is running a, an art shop, and um, this woman, an American woman, comes in, and uh, she she looks around at all the beautiful paintings, and she says to the shopkeeper, "Which one is your favorite?" And instead of rebuking her for not being able to choose one, or or uh, just dissing her in some way, he responds rabbinically with a question: "Do you have any children?" Or are you married? So she's confused. She asked about the paintings. He wants to know if she's married. She says, yes. Why do you ask? Do you have any children? Yes, I do. Why? So there's questions going back and forth. And he says, do you have a favorite? So in asking her a couple of questions... He's brought her to a deeper understanding of how he regards his work without chewing on her, getting to some dissertation, talking and shaking his finger, just by asking two or three questions. Her mind's been opened to a reality. That's cool. And that's what I want to do. I want to be able to, without a bunch of confrontation, get some folks to think about the Word of God they love so much. So can you think, just for a moment, uh, one more question. We've got two. How many laws are there in the Bible or in Paul's writings or in the apostolic scriptures? Can a non-believer keep the, the law?
I mean, you're implying that I shouldn't as a believer, so it must be for non-believers. But can a non-believer keep it? God, what do you got? What's the purpose of grace? That's, I don't know that I know anybody that could give a good response to that. What's the purpose of grace? Where are you trying to take them, Greg? Well, where I'm, where I'm trying to take them is that we live under grace. Mm-hmm. But okay, you, you say we live under grace, which I agree, we do. Amen. Uh, but for what purpose does do we live under grace? Why has God given us this grace, and what are we to do with it? A good mm. Calvinist will tell you for the glory of God, which is going to give you a which which is a which is a great answer. Yes, yeah. But but the, the, where I'm, I guess where I'm going with this is to say the grace of God is so that we can live according to how he's asked us to live. We can live for him. him in this world. Right. right. And, that, and that's, that's the follow-up question. What is the purpose of the Torah? That we may you know, be empowered to live it out. It's because you know, the progression of, of that tagline. If, if you, yeah, those two terms, law and grace, both have to be defined. And I think they're, and they both join if, if I'm walking out, the biggest act of grace was the giving of law. I would argue. Well, not, no, 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 no. I would say, I would say, there's two, right? But one Actually, the same. clearly is the giving. Of the, the giving of the written word and the and the giving of the living word. The, the the written word is the revealed righteousness of God written down, and Yeshua's life is the revealed righteousness of God worked out visibly in His life. If we recognize that he was perfect, therefore, and we know he was without sin, well, that means he kept all the commandments. Should we not follow in his steps? So, you know, we've got a a pretty good answer, I think. I don't think we need to be tongue-tied or concerned. But I want to encourage you tonight that perhaps the best sound bites that we can return with to someone who's really asking, are questions that will cause them to think about where they're really coming from. Yes, sir. And I like Greg's, I like Greg's use of the words, too. Using, using their sound bites actually to ask the question is the better way to do it. I agree. And in the same way, grace is taught as free. So a good, another good question would be, do you think grace is free? And a good Bible believer will say, absolutely not. Right. Grace cost Jesus everything. That's right. It cost God His Son. That's, so so we, can, we can recognize that grace doesn't mean free. It means that it's built upon someone else's merit. And that goes back to Greg's question again. For what purpose would such a great thing be done? See, and I've always heard of grace explained as God's unmerited favor toward us. Which is a misdefinition. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Definitely. See, it's not. It, yeah. it, it's grace demands a obligation in return. It just does. That, that, if that, someone comes and says to you, if the policeman stops you because you've been speeding, 
And he can prove you and tells you you are going 30 miles over the speed limit. It's a felony. And he says, and that's, but that's I want... limit is somebody's morality legislator. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Thank you. Now this, um, by the way, this is not grace that he's talking about. This is the, this is the misdefinition of grace, right? Uh-huh. I don't deserve it. This is not biblical grace. This is biblical mercy, maybe, but not this biblical grace. I don't deserve it, but he says, I'm going to let you off with a warning. And then you get back in your car and you speed away. That is a mark that you didn't understand the misdefinition of grace. That's it. In other words, there's an obligation. The obligation is, okay, I got caught, now I'm going to drive the speed limit. <laughs> right, right. This uh, misdefinition, uh, though, is very prevalent in professional Christendom. Oh, sure. You bet. Because it's a nice soundbite. It's mis- yeah. it's mis- yes. All right. So uh, we're going to take a break. And uh, you'll know now. 13 different types of laws That's awesome. in both sides. That's very right? cool. So. Very good. Yeah. Let's take a break. <laughs>